Well, good morning. My name is Chad Vincent. I'm the community group pastor. And uh, as I get started this morning, let me just tell you, um, maybe hearing from a staff position, you'll appreciate this, but there's no team that I'd rather go to war with than our staff team. And I think you see why Kevin does a tremendous job leading us in worship each and every Sunday. And, and our staff is just being a part of that team has been really a, a privilege of my life. And I want to just publicly say that. Um, what an amazing journey it's been. Because here's why I know life has been hard the last year. It's been challenging. And when life is hard and challenging, you look around and see who's in your corner. And I'll tell you what, it's been a privilege to, to be here on staff and uh, experience genuine love we have for each other and to be a part of this body. So I want to say first, thank you guys so much. Uh, sometimes we don't say thank you enough. And so I thank the staff team and I thank you guys for all you've done. So as you're thinking about that, what comes to your mind when I say think about your best friend growing up? You know, the Bible says we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And for me, that was Heath. We would ride around our hometown and on our bicycles, we would go to the park, we would go to the store, we would buy those candies called Nowlators. And you guys probably show my age, know what they are. We would have a little Atari and play Donkey Kong and Pac-Man together. We were on every single team together, whether it's football, basketball, or baseball. We were always on the same team. We came from the same environment. His parents were divorced, my parents were divorced. So we instantly just connected. There's something about having a friend. And the rules of friendship, the unspoken rule of friendship is what? Do you know it? You always stand up for your friend. You always stand up for your friend. And so this morning I ask you a simple question. If Jesus is our friend, are we willing to stand up for him? If Jesus is our friend, are we willing to? to stand up for him. And as we turn this morning to our passage in Luke 23, uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on because Jesus has been arrested in the Mount of Olives, right? Garden of Gethsemane. They've taken him to where? Annas' house. And understand all this first, we've got to understand how the Jewish system was structured. And so how the Jewish system was structured, there was a, there was a high priest who ruled over what's called the Sanhedrin. So the high priest used to be Annas. If you've seen the movie Godfather, think of Annas. He's like the godfather. Five of his sons become high priest. His grandson becomes high priest. His son-in-law now, Caiaphas, is the high priest. So Annas might not have the title, but he's got the what? The power. He's the godfather. All right? And so with that stage setting, they bring him to Annas. Annas immediately goes what? And it gives him to Caiaphas. Pronounce him guilty, proceed to Caiaphas. So now we're in the religious trials of Jesus. Trial number one, he's been charged guilty. Trial number two, in front of Caiaphas, he's been charged guilty. Then they go to the Sanhedrin. If you're not familiar with Sanhedrin, think of like a state of representatives. Think of like the Senate. Think of a governing body. So 70 men were there. And presiding over that again is Caiaphas the high priest. And in that assembly, as Mike talked about last week, they find Jesus guilty. And what do they find Jesus guilty of? Blasphemy, saying he's God. And so these, the, the Jewish leadership 
finds him guilty on three separate trials. Three separate trials, the same thing has come, he is found guilty. But here's the key. They don't have the power to put him to death. They can't put him to death. So they need whose help? Big Brother's help. They need who? Rome. They need Rome's help. And in Rome, there's a guy over their providence called Pilate. Again, we don't understand the history because we're not living that time. In the Roman history, what happened is you had Caesar, and Caesar had different what we call governors over land or providences. So he divided his empire into to different land and provinces. And over the way, he appointed different people. Well, this is where Pilate comes in. Pilate is appointed by Caesar to do what? Govern the land. Law and order. That's Pilate's job. And so that's the Roman culture, and they bring him to Pilate because they know we've got to get rid of this guy. And how we get rid of this guy is we got to get Pilate involved because we need Big Brother's help. We need Pilate's help because we can't condemn him. So as you turn to Luke 23, if you're there, the scene opens, the passage opens, and what Luke's going to do, he's going to give us four key witnesses right to Pilate. Four key witnesses that you can, you can trust Jesus to be your friend, and you can stand up for Jesus, and let me give you four key witnesses. And he starts right at the beginning with, guess who? The trump card, the ace card. He starts right at the beginning with Jesus himself. Look at Luke 23, verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose, and they brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we find this man misleading, some versions say perverting our nation, and we forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. And saying that, he said, and he called himself the Son of God. It's important again to know what's going on. As they bring him to Pilate, and they bring him to his palace, they can't go in. They got to stay at the courtyard because what is it? It's the Passover. They're celebrating Passover, and the Passover was when the Jews were released from Egypt. So see how much is going on? There's a lot of backstory going on. And so they bring them to the courtyard. Jesus is already in the palace. They're standing out in the courtyard. Pilate's coming out to them. They can't come in because then they'll be unclean. They couldn't celebrate what? Passover. So as Pilate comes out, he begins to hear these accusations. Did you hear them? Number one, we find this man misleading our nation. False. See what they're saying is? He wants to be Caesar. He wants to take over. He's going to cause a riot. He's going to cause a coup. He's going to dethrone you. That's not what he came to do in his first advent. That's not what Jesus came to do. Second of all, they said, oh, he tells us not to pay taxes. That's false. So Pilate's going to himself, gone, false, false. But then they hit him with this one. And saying that he is Christ the king. And as soon as they said that, Pilate says, I've got to deal with him. So what Jesus does is, what, I'm sorry, what Pilate does is, 
Again, imagine the scene. You're out here in the courtyard. Pilate's here. Where's Jesus? He's in the palace. So what Pilate does at that instant, he walks away and he goes and has a one-on-one with guess who? Jesus. Can you imagine? Pilate is standing face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And Pilate's been known as a man of authority. When Pilate says something, you do what? You do it. You don't question it. And now he's met his match. Because Jesus stands there eyeball to eyeball. And he's also a man who talked with what? Authority. The winds and the waves obeyed this man. And so Pilate looks at him and says, are you the Christ? Do you feel the tension in that? you feel the moment in that? See, Jesus had what we all want. He had poise. Looks Pilate right in the eye and says what? It is as you say it is. Uh-oh. You have said it's so. He doesn't have to say anything. He says, Pilate, you've already told it. And John elaborates on this. And furthers their conversation. And Jesus begins to tell them, you know what? I have a kingdom. And my kingdom is not of this world. And I come to bear truth. Because I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And so right then, Pilate's going, what? Remember what John says? John said, Pilate goes, what is truth? See, he's, 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 he's trumping Pilate. He's blowing Pilate's mind. Because Pilate's like, political. Jesus says, no, I'm spiritual. I have a spiritual kingdom. Pilate, you're living in this physical realm only. You don't see the full perspective. I have a kingdom greater you can ever imagine. It's spiritual. And Pilate goes, what is truth? That's nonsense. You're a religious lunatic. Get this man out of here. So then he walks back out to the private one-on-one with Jesus. And he faces who? Who's he face? The crowd. The crowd, and he's just been confronted by the man who has ultimate authority. And so the first witness is Jesus. And he's telling Pilate, based on who I am, you can trust me to be your friend. You can stand up for me. You can do what's right. And right then, Pilate leaves, goes back out to the crowd. Look what he says in verse 4. The second witness comes on. Look at verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the who? The crowd. He says what? I find no guilt in this man. You see what happened? Pilate went in not unsure. He comes out saying, I find no guilt in his man. So the second witness is Pilate's what? His conscience. His conscience has been pricked. He's curious at best. He says, something's different about this man. My encounter with him, something's different. And it's not just what this man said. It's how this man handles himself. It's how this man handles himself. How do you handle yourself when you're accused? Do you argue? Do you get defensive? Do you just dismiss it? Do you run from it? Do you engage it? 
Do you fight it? Wow. See, Pilate's going, the other gospels say they marvel. Pilate marveled at Jesus. He'd look back and go, wow, who is this man? This man's got something I ain't got. Because see, Pilate knew in verse 5, they were jealous. The crowd, the chief priests, especially the, Jew, the leadership, they were jealous. Verse 5, but they were urgent, saying, he stirs up people, teaching throughout all the land of Judah, from Judea even to this place. They were envious of him. And Pilate's conscience is going, huh. He's been pricked. He's been, he, it made him ponder. It made him think. It made him wonder, is this really true? Because they're talking out here all the time, yelling and yelling, and this man hadn't said nothing to defend himself. Makes you think, doesn't it? See, Jesus never got defensive. He never got argumentative. He trusted his father would take care of him. And it made an impression on Pilate. And at that moment, I think Pilate considered, should I stand up for this guy? But Pilate's not done yet. There's a third witness. Pilate goes, wait a minute. Verse 6, the third witness. Pilate's going to send him to Herod. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod. Classic political move, isn't it? And a classic politician. I mean, I'm not if you're a politician, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be real with you. It's classic. He just, he just doesn't want to take responsibility. Hey, if I, I'm going to defer him. He's going to save face. I mean, you got to think of how Pilate's thinking. He's a politician. And I'm going to save face here. I'm going to, look, I ain't got to deal with this. I don't want my, I don't want, I'm going to get Herod to deal with it. Plus, you live over in Herod's region anyway. Remember the structure of Rome, the providence? Oh, you're in the providence of Herod, so I'll let Herod deal with it, even though I've got authority over Herod. See what Pilate's doing? He doesn't want to make a decision. He wants to be what we call in what? No man's land. It's better in no man's land because if I make a decision, Pilate's smart enough to know, if I make a decision, there's going to be what with that decision? Consequences. And I want to play it both ways. I want my cake and eat it too. That's where I said how I was growing up. I want it both ways. And Jesus is saying, you can't have it both ways. So he goes to Herod. Watch his interaction with Herod. Herod's, a, Herod's crazy. And when he comes to Herod, when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was glad. I bet he was. For he, for he had longed to see, repetition, watch this word, to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some signs done by him. So all Herod wanted to do, Herod wanted a good show. Herod wanted a good entertainment. He was cool with Jesus as long as, cool, as long as he was doing what? Entertaining him. 
But Jesus responds and goes, nope, I'm not in the entertainment business right now. And as soon as he doesn't give, check it out. Oh, listen, listen to me. Stay with me. As soon as Herod doesn't get what he wants from Jesus, as soon as he doesn't get what he wants from Jesus, what does he do to Jesus? He does what? He mocks him. He belittles him. He demeans him. He teases him. He makes fun of him. So as soon as Jesus don't do what I want Jesus to do, what do I do? Am I too close and personal? Is it too real? What do I do as soon as Jesus don't meet my expectations? He doesn't entertain me not doing what I want to do. What do I immediately begin to do? And Herod plays it out for you. Mock him. Make fun of him. Demean him. Dismiss him. He's a joke. He's not really there. He don't really care. Man. If it wasn't so convicting, it would be funny. Wow. So then, but watch what, watch what he does, though. Watch what Harry does. The third witness. Pick up in 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. You brought me this man as one who was perverting authority, who was trying to usurp me, who wanted my title, my position. And after examining him before you, behold, I find no guilt in this man. Uh-oh, Pilate. Second time he said that. And then he comments on Herod. Neither did Herod. Neither did Herod. So right then, as Jesus was trying to intentionally pass the responsibility, Herod confirms to Pilate, Time number three, that Jesus really is who he says he is. Therefore, he can be considered your friend. Therefore, Pilate, church, you can stand up for him. And if that's not enough, if that's not enough to get Pilate's attention, to make him wrestle with, man, that's three witnesses now. Jesus my own conscience, Herod, if that's not enough, all you married men in the room, he's going to get real personal with you. Now he's going to bring his wife into the picture. Uh-oh. And the room went silence. He brings his wife in. And all you married men understand this. Luke doesn't record it, but, but the other gospels do. He brings his wife in, and his wife has an urgent message for guess who? Pilate. See, because what happened when, when Pilate at the house that morning, he left really early. He didn't get a chance to talk to his wife. They started that trial about 6 in the morning. So he didn't get a chance to talk to his wife. And now his wife is panicking, trying to get a message right back to him. But Pilate's where? He's in his palace. He's presiding over a trial. So she's got to get message to him that, hey, something's going on, honey. And right in the middle of this third trial, while he's facing Pilate, guess who's coming in? 
a message from his wife. And you know when the phone rings, you always answer the call from who? You're never too busy for who? It don't matter what you're doing. That phone rings says wife or lovely wife or sweet thing or mama Jane or whatever you call her, baby love, whatever you call your wife, my girl, right, whatever you call her. You see that and what do you do? You never hit that phone and hit the side of it and go, ignore that. No, no, no. Hello, honey. I'm in a meeting uh, with Monty. But how are you doing? <laughs> and everybody in the room understands you need to get that phone. Nobody says, why'd you pick that phone up for? They go, get that phone, boy. The first thing you love learning in marriage is because I pick up the phone. The wife calls, you better pick up the phone. <laughs> so Pilate's not stupid. Pilate picks up the phone because it's his wife. It's his wife. And she tells him through a messenger, hey, leave this man alone. He's righteous. He's innocent. Oh, so now Pilate is not going to say no to his wife, is he? You've been there, I'm sure, as husbands before. You don't listen to your wife, and it's got you in a situation where you're like, ah, if I'd have just listened to her. And we've all been there. And so Pilate is confronted again by his conscience, <laughs> by Herod, by Jesus himself, and now by his wife. And here's the principle. Just because you know what's right doesn't mean you do it. Ugh. Just because you know what's right doesn't mean you necessarily do it. And Pilate's a classic example. He knows that this man is innocent. He's had four occasions. And despite those four occasions, he, has, he is going to show his weakness. He's going to disregard it all. Oh, four occasions. Repetition over and over. And the confusing thing is Pilate even knows better. You ever been there? Well, you know what's right, you just didn't do it. And that's why we can relate to Pilate. See, because what's going on with Pilate? He's conflicted. Because there's something Pilate wants. And we don't understand this in our time. But what's going on with Pilate? There's something he desires. James says we are led astray by the desires within us. See, there's something Pilate is wanting more than anything. Do you know Roman history at all? Do you know what Pilate's wanting more than anything? Do you know the common phrase the Romans used all the time? He wants more than anything to be a friend of who? Caesar. Because in Caesar I have security. I have protection. I have my position. I have my power. And more than anything, Pilate wants to be considered a friend of Caesar, and he knew Pilate's a smart, intellectual politician. He knew he couldn't play it both ways. And you see him wrestling with it throughout the passage. And so he wanted to be a friend of Caesar, and so what happens is he, he does what we call political expedite. Political expedite or expendency. And what he does is this is perfect. Check, stay with me. Stay with me. He does something he knows 
It's not necessarily fair, but it's going to benefit who? Him. He knows it's not fair, but it's going to benefit him. And so then he comes in 18 and offers the Jews. He says, hey, let me, make it, let's, let, let's, let me work with you here. See what he does? But they cried out together, away with this man, release us Barabbas. And a man who had been thrown to prison for insurrection started in the city and the murder. And Pilate dressed him once more, desiring to release Jesus. Feel the tension, the climax. Ah! But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify him. And a third time, verse 22, they came to him again. Why? What man has this done? What has he done? What evil has he done? I find no guilt in him. Look at the passage with me. I will therefore do what? Here's the deal. Here's the, here's the bargain. Here's the bargain. I'll punish him. You shouldn't punish him anyway. And then I release him. And they go, that's what? Not enough. And so right then you see the weakness of Pilate begin to erode. One of my favorite movie clips says, when it all hits the fans, some guys run and some guys stand. And Pilate is beginning to do what? Run. Man. And he's running because he understands what's going on. I can't prove this to you biblically, but I think without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that Caiaphas the high priest and Pilate together had a plan even before that money, that, that morning, they were going to get rid of Jesus. They met separately. And then when Pilate begins to waffle, I can't prove that to you biblically, but when Pilate begins to waffle, you begin to see. Because in John 11, Caiaphas the high priest says, hey, we got to get rid of this Jesus guy. Because if we don't get rid of Jesus, the Romans are coming in, and they'll take away our what? Our place, our name. They'll take, they'll take us out. So we've got to get rid of Jesus. And I think at that moment, Caiaphas begins to talk to Pilate, and they begin to arrange this thing. And then Pilate, because of the four witnesses, began to waffle. He's unsure. And then you get a response that is just like, oh, my goodness. Intense. And here's what happened in the pilot's weakness. You see it, you see the progression in verse 23. And think of it as three circles, concentric, okay? Meaning you have one in the middle, like a bullseye, you got one outside of it, and you got one there. See, their agenda, their wheel is right in the middle. And how they're going to get that is they're going to use their voices, outside circle. They're going to use their demands, middle circle. And inside of it, they're going to get their agenda across. A contrinsic circle. Man. And watch what they do. Verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding him with loud voices that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demands should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder and for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. See the three things, what happens? First, it always starts with what happened. They got loud. There's always comfort in numbers. 
They got loud, they got angry, they got boisterous, and they started shouting. Remember where they are, the courtyard, and they start putting a little pressure on Pilate because they knew if they pushed him, he would do what? Settle. And so they begin to use their voices, and you know they shout to him, you're not a friend of Caesar. We have no friend but Caesar. It might not mean much to you, but for what he's saying is, all we have is what the world has to offer. We are friends with the world, and that's all we've got. And you take that away from us, we have nothing. And so they begin to shout with their voices. And we're very familiar with what it looks like. You've seen it recently. Mobs, protests, riots, and there you go. People using their voices because they have a what? Agenda. And so what they do, they use their voices. There they go. Next, demands. So what are they shouting? What's the demands? What are they wanting? They want this man to be what? Dead. And so their demands are crucify, 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 crucify him. And then right from that, going inside more, what's their agenda? And it does, it's weird how the, the Bible is so timeless because you know their agenda? They want what? Control. It doesn't change. They want power. And so now right in the agenda, that's what they're wanting. And you see it lived out right in front of you. They want to be the ones in charge. And Pilate eventually begins to settle. He eventually begins to what we call acquiesce. He backs away and says, I take no, what's the word? Responsibility. I wash my hands signifying I take no responsibility. His blood's not on my hands. Now, here's the thing with you this morning. You're not a politician, are you? You might be. If, if you are, good. I mean that, good, because you have a chance to stand up. Because in the political world, you don't want to, you want to waffle your vote because what? Your constituencies. You might lose the vote. If I don't do this way, I'll lose the people. That's what Pilate's thinking. But each one of us has situations. And I'll be real honest with you. I'll lay them out for you how my heart bleeds every day. I have a social situation I walk into. And you might think, oh, it's cool now. Chad comes up here. He's Pastor Chad or whatever you want to say. And he's been to seminary and he's got his doctorate. And, Ooh, yay, right? But I go to soccer games and I go to band competitions. I mean, I'm a human being. I move around the area and I begin to tell people what I do. I mean, I feel it in my chest. I'm not the most courageous guy. And I say, what do you do? The first question people ask you when you meet them. First question, what, what do you do? <clears throat> pastor, 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 pastor. And as soon as I say it, 90% of the time, their face goes, Phew. and they have these weird experiences like, you handle snakes? <laughs> I'm just telling you, when I say pastor, it's just right there. If you see it, you see it come up. It's heartbreaking. 
And everything within me wants to acquiesce. Everything in me wants to back down because I'm tired. I've done it now for years now. I'm tired of saying I'm a pastor because they say, what do you do all day? Y'all work one day a week? Just telling you. And then when they cuss around me, do something around me, you know, they say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I know you're a pastor. Sorry. I'm not God. I'm a pastor. But it doesn't feel prestigious. And I go to high school reunions, and my buddy's making good money. They're doing everything right. They're doing well. So, oh, so you've been a pastor now for over 20 years? You know what I'm saying? That's great. It's really good. And I feel like I'm going outside the camp. I'm experiencing rejection. And I'm a people pleaser. I'm a people person. And then, you may get more personal than that, and then we go through our family situation. There's things you want to, as a, as a man in your family, you don't want to step in because you want what's called false peace. And you know you need to say something. You know something needs to be said. But you begin to acquiesce and back down because now you know if you say that, what's going to happen? And then you realize with your own family, there are certain things you disagree with theologically, socially. And so you begin to kind of, you feel in your chest, at least I do, I feel that all in my chest. And you begin to back down. Can I give you another one? Here's your pocketbook. What about financially? So when I look for a job, the only thing I look for is how much money I make. See? And as you get older, as I get older at least, I'll speak for me with three teenage boys, sometimes in my flesh I'm thinking, man, it'd be nice to have a little more money. So then you know what I want to do? Go get me a job, get me a pay raise, get a little more money. See, that's how we acquiesce. That's how we settle. So I'm called to a position not based on money. I'm called because God wants me to be. And I have to trust God to stand up in those moments. And I'm a human being like you, and I feel the tension like you do. And when the stuff starts hitting your pocketbook, that gets your attention, doesn't it? Are you going to trust God or are you going to settle? And that's hard. So do I consider Jesus a friend? Am I willing to suffer for him? Am I willing to stand up when I'm the only one standing? And that's why the Bible says we have a friend that's closer than a brother. So here's the beautiful part. When we do fail, when we do mess up, when we do settle, see, we go right back and we go, thank you, God, that the gospel is good news for me. Because my heart is always prone to wonder. I know what's right. I know the right thing to do. But I want this so much more. And being honest with that and saying that and going back to community and God with that, that's life-giving. Because if I don't do that, you know what happens? And I've learned this as I get older. What happens if I don't do that? If I keep settling and settling and acquiescing, you know what happens to me? Just like what happens to Pilate. A guy came in, another Caesar came into Pilate's life, and guess what he did to Pilate? He banished him to an island. And you know what Pilate did? Pilate killed himself. And if I continue to settle my whole life, and I settle, and I settle, and I work it, I manipulate, and I rationalize, and I justify, you know what I get? 
apathy and depression. Apathy and depression, why I just don't care anymore. And the beauty thing, the beautiful thing, man, if you've been bought with the blood, you're not for sale. You might stumble, you might fall, but you've already been bought. So you go back to that gospel truth that I've been bought with a price. I'm not for sale. And so this morning, the question is, will we stand? If you consider yourself a friend of Jesus, will you stand? And so in the so what, to get real practical with you, I think the devil works, he's very specific, and I think a lot of times we're too vague. And so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to bow your head and think about a situation that maybe you've been settling for for a long, long time. And it's time for you to make a stand. It's time for you to engage. That's what I'm thinking this morning. That's the so what. What situation have you been going through? Social, financial, personal, and we can go on and on. And now, bow your head, ask God for his grace that you will stand that you will stand up. Because I have a feeling you know what's right. You just don't do it. So I ask God this time, God, I'm going to stand. Even me standing alone, I'm going to stand. Take a moment. Thanks for your word. I so personally relate to Pilate. I relate to the conflict that's going on inside his, his head, inside his heart. I have so much empathy for him because I see myself a lot of times in Pilate. And so I pray, Father, as we see ourselves when things get hard and difficult whether it's our car breaks down or our body breaks down our marriage breaks down our kids break down life breaks down we have a tendency to run everywhere else but you we have a tendency in our chest to acquiesce to back down 
to settle when things get hard. May we find you, God, good in the mountaintops, but may we find you better in the valley. May we find you better in the valley. Would you give us the encouragement, especially by the gospel, knowing that we're accepted and we're loved. It's not based on how we perform. But, Father, we call you, you a friend. And we've all experienced people coming to us, whoever they were in our story, family members, friends, co-workers, church leaders, and told us of the goodness of you. May we listen and begin to apply. Because you tell us greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And we always skip over the last phrase, the conditional clause, if you do what I command you to. And what you've asked them to do is, is stand. Stand for you. So may we stand in your love and your grace this morning. May you encourage us as we leave to just do one thing. One thing going on in our life. We've all got those where we constantly want to back down. We constantly want to settle. May we walk out of this church today and say, okay, God, with your power of the Spirit, with people around me who love me, I'm going to act out. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to take a stand no matter what happens. Thank you for this morning. Thanks for the time. Thanks for your word. Christ, we pray. Amen.